You're listening to teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to midtowncolumbia.com. Happy Parents Weekend to you, parents in the room, yeah? Good to be with you guys. Glad the Gamecocks could finally get it done against Kentucky, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, my, uh, my wife is from Kentucky, but we met at USC, so that day and that game carries a special significance for us of who gets to send out the boasting text messages to her friends. So finally, finally we get one. Good news. No, glad you're here. My name is Tim. I'm currently on staff as a church planter, so uh, myself and a team are getting ready around this time next year to be sent to the east side of Charlotte to plant Citizens Church. Uh, so that's what we're doing, gearing up, getting ready for that. Thanks for everybody that's been praying for us. The Lord's been really kind uh, so far. We've seen a lot of cool things happen. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10 this morning. If you need uh, a Bible, there should be some on the ends of the rows. Just nod. Somebody will pass that on down to you. Hebrews chapter 10. We are on week eight, our final week of this series in Columbia as it is in heaven, where we've been talking about all of the different covenant practices that we agree to as members of Midtown. So if you call Midtown home, these are different things that we say, yes, I'm going to step in into these practices, and the goal is that as we do these things, that God, by his grace and through the power of the Holy Spirit, would actually shape us to be more and more uh, the people that he's called us to be and live as he's called us to live. And so before we dive into Hebrews 10 and our last covenant practice, I just wanted to celebrate so part of the, the fun thing about being on staff at Midtown is uh, we get to kind of see all of the things going on all across our church that you guys don't always get to see. And so I thought it'd be fun before we jump in to just celebrate some wins that we have seen uh, God do in our church family over the course of this series. So uh, the first is that at the beginning of this series, we rolled out our Bible reading plan. So this is something where uh, throughout the week, we online, or you can sign up for emails in your inbox, just walk through different parts of scripture together, and then we have different questions that you can think through and pray through. We've uh, heard of a ton of life groups actually doing this together, so life groups that are just owning, hey, we're not great at abiding in God's word, and so what if we all did the reading plan together and just texted each other, hey, I got this out of it, what'd you get, like, what are you seeing? We've just seen a lot of fruit from that, as well as we've had about 30 to 40 folks every Wednesday morning at 7 a.m. joining us over in Barnwell to just do that together, to read God's word together, to pray together, to study God's word together. So super excited about how he's growing us in our love for his word and abiding in his word. A couple other wins that came out of our generosity sermon in particular. So one, uh, one of our life groups during their sermon discussion time just realized, hey, a lot of us aren't good with money. Like the first step towards generosity for our group would be faithfulness in stewarding what God has given us and using a budget to tell our money where to go. And so they said, tomorrow night, bring your laptops. We're going to have a budget party, which is not my definition of a party. I don't know about you, uh, but they did it. They brought their computers and they had some food and some drinks and they just spent a night helping each other make budgets so that they could tell their money where to go and free up uh, some money so they could be good stewards and give and give generously to the mission of God. God. So super stoked on that. Uh, last story is uh, this is actually from our Lexington church. So we had a couple who for the past few months had started saving to buy a new house. And so they were saving to put some away for a down payment. And when they heard about Lexington's building fund trying to get some permanent space out in Lexington, they were like, hey, what if we just hit reset? 
Like, what if we just restarted and we just gave all of this to uh, our church family so they can have a permanent home, and we just restarted? And so they did that, uh, fueled by the generosity of God to them. They gave and gave generously. And so, just excited. Uh, Some of the other things that uh, we talked about in this series, we talked about fellowship through presence and participation in a life group. We want to be in community with church family. We talked about confessing our sin to God and to one another. We talked about living on mission through being hospitable both with our lives and with our homes. And then last week, Alan talked about serving. And we want to grow to be the type of people who love doing what others need. So I hope it's been beneficial for you today. Uh, we are talking about what we do here. So we're talking about gatherings. And I got to warn you, the application is pretty simple. Show up and participate. That's kind of the the application for us. But I want to deep dive this morning into the reality that and the beautiful uh, picture that gatherings actually give us an opportunity to put into practice all of the other covenant practices. So all of the things we say yes to as a church, abiding in God's word, serving one another, being a generous people. All of these things that we talk about, we actually get the opportunity each and every Sunday morning for an hour and 15 minutes to practice those things together in little ways. And what we see happen when we do that is that we are actually shaped into a people who live and love and have our being in the world like God calls us to. That's our covenant practice this morning. This is how it's, it's written. It says, our gatherings on Sunday shape us into a people marked by listening to God's word, and responding in prayer, worship, generosity, and mission within our spirit-filled community. Therefore, I commit to prioritizing Sunday gathering participation. That's where we're going today. Sunday gatherings as shaping us into the people God has called us to be. Let me pray for us, and then we'll dive into Hebrews 10. Father God, thank you so much. It is a, a privilege to get to be with your people. It's a privilege to get to gather in this space, to get to sing of what you've done for us, to get to hear from you and from your word, to get to take communion, to get to celebrate with our church family. God, it's a gift. I pray over the next little bit as we talk about your word, God, would you help us to have eyes to see and hearts that are full of gratitude for that gift. It's a privilege that we get to get to do these things together. God, thank you that you don't leave us as we are. God, you, you accept us and love us and embrace us where we're at, but you love us too much to keep us there. You take us on a journey of shaping and molding and restoring around you and about your reality. So I pray that'll be true today as we look at your word. And we love you. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews 10, we're going to start in verse 19. It's going to take us a minute to get to gatherings. I just want to clarify that, but I promise the setup is worth it. Hebrews 10, verse 19, the author of Hebrews writes, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God. All right, pause. Let me make sure you know what's going on in these verses. So in the Old Testament, the people of God, the Israelites, had priests. And the priests were mediators, or they were go-betweens between God and his people. So they stood between 
God and his people. And priests, on a regular basis, would offer sacrifices to God on behalf of God's people. And on one day in particular, Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement, the high priest, the highest one of all the priests, would go behind a curtain into a part of the temple known as the Holy of Holies. And it was known as the Holy of Holies because it was where God most manifested his presence for his people. And so only once a year, and only the high priest could go behind this curtain and enter into the holy place, the presence of God. And so what the author of Hebrews is trying to get us to see is that Jesus is both the great high priest and the true and perfect sacrifice for God's people. Jesus is both the great high priest and the true and perfect sacrifice. He is the one that mediates. He is the one that stands between God and his people. And he also is the one who tears down the curtain so that we could enter into God's presence. He does this literally. Matthew 27, when Jesus is crucified, the veil, the curtain in the temple actually rips And it's to show, hey, this matters. Because of the body and blood of Jesus given on the cross, we, all of us who trust in Jesus, can now enter into the presence of God. That's huge. I don't want us to miss that. This, if you are a follower of Jesus, this reality that because of Christ's body and blood given for you, you can be in God's presence. That is your truest reality. That is the truest thing about you. That is the story that you live in. Before anything else that you want to identify with, before anything else that you think gives you identity or meaning or value or purpose, if you are a follower of Jesus, the most true reality that you live in is what Christ has done for you. That's the basis. That's where we're starting. Now, out of that reality, the author of Hebrews invites us into a few things. Look at verse 22. He says, Let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So the author of Hebrews says, because of what Jesus has done, let us draw near to him with confidence, knowing what Christ has done for us, knowing that we're washed clean, that we're made new, that we're given new hearts, heart of flesh, as Scripture calls it. He says, let's hold tight to our confession. Let's hold tight to what Christ has done. So before we get into gatherings, why I wanted to start with verses 19 through 23 is I wanted to show you that we live in a story. We live in a story. This is God's story. This is God's, what theologians call God's redemptive narrative, Right, that Genesis 1, he created the world and everything was good. But Adam and Eve, the first man and the first woman, sinned. And so sin enters the world and breaks and mars and stains everything. But God doesn't leave us by ourselves in our sin. He sends Jesus to die on the cross and shed his blood so that we could be brought back into relationship with him. And then he sends us out into the world to be a part of seeing wherever he's placed us look more and more like heaven. That's the big redemptive story of God. That's the, the good news of what God has done. That's our story. There's one more part of the story, though. Keep going. Verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So if you're somebody who writes in your Bible, feel free to underline the day, right? It's capitalized, because what the author of Hebrews is trying to get us to see is that there is a day that is coming. 
This day that we read about in other parts of scripture where Jesus, who was not only dead and buried, but also got up out of the grave and is going to return again. That day is coming. And he's going to make all things new. He is going to rescue us from this world of brokenness. He's going to establish a world where there's no more sin or pain or tears or grief or rebellion or shame or guilt. He's going to make all things new and establish a new heaven and a new earth where we will worship him forever in joy and peace and grace. That day is coming. And so what the author of Hebrews is trying to get us to understand is, listen, that is your story. That is the story. And so when we hear, let us hold fast to our confession of faith, what we're meant to hear is, hey, hold fast to this reality. Hold fast to this story. Place yourself in it. Own it. Identify with it. This is mine. This is my story. What Jesus has done for me is my reality. It's my truth. It's good. It's sure. It's real. It affects and shapes us. Right, there's, a, there's a shaping power to the stories we believe in, right? There's a shaping power to the story you think you identify with or you think you live in. So uh, let's play a game. Raise your hand if you remember uh, the movie The Matrix. All right, so more than I was anticipating. I was talking to somebody, and they were like 5% guaranteed. I was like, no, it's too good. Keanu Reeves is too good. It's a wonderful movie. Right, so okay, imagine this. Just play along with me. It's going to seem silly. Play along. Imagine that you actually think you live in The Matrix, some of you are like, we do. No, we'll talk about it later. We don't. Right? But imagine you think that this whole world that you live in is an illusion run by robots to sedate humans. Right? Like, if you think this is what's going on, if you actually thought you lived in the Matrix, that would affect everything about how you live. Right? That would shape you into a particular type of person. You'd be like, maybe I'm Neo. Maybe I'm the one. You're not. This is not the Matrix. I promise. But that would shape you. Right? That would affect you. Get a little more uh, serious. If, if the narrative that you believe that you live in is that you are unlovable, or that you're unwanted, or that you're just a burden, that nobody loves you, nobody cares about you, listen, that's going to shape you. Right? That's going to affect how you live. It's going to affect how you go about your life. That's going to affect what you believe, how you love, how you dwell in a relationship. You're going to be shaped by that narrative that no one loves you and no one wants you. If you believe that karma runs the universe, right, and the good you do will be rewarded and the bad you do will be punished, that's going to shape how you live. It's going to affect how you move and have your being in the world. That's going to affect how you dwell in relationships. Stories that we believe we live in, the narrative that we believe and own for our life shapes us. It's the reality. Christian or not, it shapes you. And so the author of Hebrews is inviting us to hold fast to our confession that our story, our reality, our narrative, the true story of the world is what Christ has done for us. It's the invitation. But here's the problem. I don't know if you've realized it or not, but the day is not here yet. The day that Christ says is going to come, the day where he returns and makes all things new, that he rules and reigns forever, is not here. We're in the middle. We're in the middle of the story. We're in the already but not yet part of the story. We're in the, we want to make Columbia look like heaven, but it just doesn't yet part of the story. We're in the forgiven and set free from sin and shame and guilt, but still pressed on every side by temptation part of the story. 
We're in the Christ has died and Christ has risen, but Christ has not yet come again part of the story. And the problem is that when we're in this part of the story, this side of the cross, but this side of eternity, is that every other story would call for our attention and our shaping. Because we were saying, is that day actually going to come? Is Christ actually going to return? Because our hearts are full of sin, because the world shouts at us, we're fickle beings who just walk left and right, trying to grasp at different stories to shape us and shape us and shape us. And there's one predominant one. There's tons of stories you can choose to base your life around, tons of stories you can be shaped by. There's just one that I want to press in on this morning, and that's this. Culture's story that I'm in charge. This is all there is, so I'll do what I want. I'm in charge. This is all there is, so I'll do what I want. There's tons of narratives. I thought this one told most of them. It kind of owns a lot of what we see in our culture. You probably see this um, in everywhere that you look, in your workplaces, in your friendships, in your, the media that you consume. Right? This story just told to us over and over and over again. I'm in charge. This is all there is, so I'll do what I want. I'm in charge. This is all there is, so I'll do what I want. This is every social media app you get on on your phone. Right? Instagram, Facebook, telling you over and over again, you're in charge, this is all there is, so do what you want. Your Netflix or Hulu or Amazon Prime, right? You're in charge, this is all there is, so do what you want. That's a remote, by the way, you're like scrolling, in case you're wondering what I'm doing with my hand. Right? Like conversations you have with coworkers or friends, right? You're telling them about a problem, it's your life, it's your life, you're in charge, do what you want, don't worry about it. Come on, go after what you want but it's going to hurt somebody. It doesn't matter. Do what you want. You're in charge. It's your life. You're the author. You're the main character. You're the lead over and over and over again. I'm in charge. This is all there is, so I'll do what I want. The problem is living into this story brings all kinds of pain and suffering, right? So if we believe I'm in charge, that comes with an overwhelming crushing of I should not be in charge. We all know this. You don't have the knowledge and power. I don't have the knowledge and power to be the master of my life. I will definitely screw it up. I've tried. Right? We, if you believe this is all there is, you walk around with this, okay, then what hope is there? Right? If this is all there is, if it's all going to go away, what's the point? Why do we get up? Why do we keep living? Why do we keep going? If we live under this story of do what I want, our hearts are messy and broken by sin, and we have incredible ability to mess things up in our own lives and in the lives of those around us. It doesn't work. This story that we're called after to be shaped by doesn't work, but it's crashing in all around us, and our hearts, because of sin, want to latch onto it and want to own, yes, I'm in charge, this is all there is, so I'll do what I want, and we want to latch onto it and believe it, but it doesn't work. And so what Hebrews is inviting us into this morning, what the author of Hebrews would say is that we need a reshaping. We need, as Romans 12, 2 would say it, we need a renewal we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 says, you know how you get a reshaping? You know how you get a renewal? You know how you get a restoring around God's story? Is by not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. But all the more as you see the day drawing near, all the more as you realize we're in the middle and we need help to make sure we get to the end. And so we have the gift of gatherings. We have the gift of coming together as the people of God to worship him and celebrate. And this has been what Christians have been doing, what followers of Jesus have been doing since the very beginning. 
right, from the book of Acts onward, the people of God have said, we need a space where we get together as God's people. And it's looked different throughout history, but some common elements have been the same. They sing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. They hear God's word taught and proclaimed. They take communion, and they baptize. So that's what we're going for in 2019 in Columbia, South Carolina. We're trying to say, hey, we as the people of God need to gather together, and all the more as we see the day drawing near. It's a reshaping. It's an incredible gift from God. What we do here for an hour and 15 minutes is an incredible gift of God for reshaping. And so for the rest of the time, I just want to work through these three parts of the culture story and just show you how the gathering can be helpful for a reshaping. So culture story says, I'm in charge. This is all there is. I'll do what I want. God's story says, uh-uh, God's in charge. There's more to life than this, so it's not about me. God's in charge. There's more to life than this. So it's not about me. Let's work through those one by one. I'm in charge versus God's in charge. So we talked about this. Our culture is set up for you to be about you, for you to live your life for you. You hear this in jokes, right? You do you, boo-boo, right? Follow your heart. Go after your dreams. Everybody, has, you guys seen the Diet Coke commercial? Their slogan this year, because I can, right? Which doesn't make any sense for Diet Coke because if I can do whatever I want, I'm not drinking Diet Coke. <laughs> Just not, right? Like, if it's because I can, give me a regular Coke, please. <laughs> or a cheer wine, one of the two. One of the two. Right? It's, it's foolishness, but it's pervading. It's the stories that are trying to shape us. Hey, you do you. Go after your heart. Doesn't matter. Chase your dreams. Six and a half days out of the week, you are being yelled at internally and externally to you do you. You're the master and commander. You're the author and the main character of the story. And what happens is, by God's grace, we have a space every Sunday morning at 9 and 11, 15, where we walk in bombarded by, it's all about you. It's all about you. It's all about you. And then Jay, or another worship leader gets up and goes, hey, let's stand and remember what God has done for us. Reshaping. You see it? Restoring. Just like that, we're renewed to, oh yeah, it's not about me. And then we sing song after song, oh yeah, it's not about me. And we dive into God's word, oh yeah, it's not about me. It's about him. He's in charge. He's the commander. He's the master. He's the author and the lead. It's all about him. It's not about me. It's about him. This is why we center our gatherings around the truth of God's word and the songs that we sing, putting scripture on the screen. When we read it together, when we try to dive into it together, we're trying to remind ourselves every other story wants to make it about you. God is the one that's actually in charge. Our gatherings shape us, and they shape us little bit after little bit after little bit. I'm not in charge. God's in charge. I'm not the one that's writing the story. God's writing the story. I'm not the hero. God's the hero. That's the first. I'm in charge versus God's in charge. Number two, this one's a little sneakier. It's going to take us a little bit of time. This is all there is versus there's more to life than this. This is all there is versus there's more to life than this. A helpful way to think about this is natural versus natural and transcendent. A natural view of the world versus a natural and transcendent view of of the world. Let me show you what I mean. So in 2007, philosopher Charles Taylor wrote a book called A Secular Age, and it was this absolutely just behemoth of a book, 800 plus pages, that philosophers, non-Christian and Christian, have said is one of the most important works of philosophy in the last 100 years. Like, just an incredible work of philosophy, and one of the things he outlines is in the book is basically he says, hey, I would argue that we're in a secular age, 
And here's why I think we got there, and here's what this means. And he walks through thing after thing after thing of what happened from the Enlightenment all the way through modernism and postmodernism to get what he calls a secular age, an age ruled by postmodern truth. That's what's right for you is right for you. What's right, right for me is right for me. It doesn't matter. An age ruled by humanism, that humans are supreme in the universe. An age ruled by secularism, that everybody's free to just chase after their religion and their goodness. It doesn't matter. There is no ultimate truth or ultimate God. And he says how we got here, and part of what we got here that's sneaky and that people don't realize and understand, one of the byproducts of being in a secular age is that we live in what he calls the imminent frame. So stay with me, all right? The imminent frame, he says, is that we don't have a concept for anything outside of what's right here. This is the way that we live. Whatever's right here. Whatever I can experience with my senses, whatever we can taste or rationalize or touch or test, whatever appears natural. And so he says what's happened is 300, 400 years ago, most people, whether they would call themselves Christians or not, lived with some amount of, oh yeah, there are things outside of the natural world that affect the natural world. It's both a natural and transcendent. Today, we don't have any category for that. We don't have any category for something that we can't test or prove with some kind of scientific something or some type of rationale. We live what he calls the imminent frame. So now you guys are all wondering, what does this have to do with gatherings? Well, what happens as the people of God, if we don't realize that we are shaped towards all natural, is that suddenly we write God out of our lives. Suddenly we don't have a framework for remembering, oh yeah, there's someone bigger and outside of and transcendent from our world who is working and active and moving. And suddenly we all become functional deists at best, right? Where we go, yeah, God created things, but what I see is what's true and what I experience is what's real. And so it doesn't actually matter. I'm just going to live in the natural, right? And so every problem becomes something that we naturally fix, right? Every ordeal becomes like, uh, yeah, but I know you said you're going to pray about it, but like, what are you actually going to do about it? Instead of realizing, no, prayer is actually part of the work because we have a God who's transcendent and yet active and working and moving in the world. That's part of the beauty of gatherings is they shape us towards remembering, oh yeah, God. Oh yeah, God is active and powerful and working. Uh, One philosopher a few years ago picked up on this and writes about uh, what many of us experienced on the way to this building this morning. So he said, all right, I get what you're saying, Taylor. I get what you're saying about imminent frame. Let me try to spell out how this affected you, what, 45 minutes ago, 50 minutes ago. This is how this affected you. This is a quote from a guy named Alan Noble. I thought it was really helpful. It's kind of long, but I think it's worth it, so stick with me. He says, consider for a minute what it is like to attend church on Sunday. You are awakened by an alarm on your cell phone, an amazing piece of technology and testament to the power of human mastery over the natural world. You eat eggs for breakfast. They come almost miraculously clean, large and white, in a carton that has been inspected by some government agency to ensure it's safe. You get dressed in clothes that you bought ready-made. You drive to church in a glistening, energy-efficient sedan with advanced safety features and glance occasionally at the cars next to you, in which people are completely preoccupied and content with the technology around them. As you drive through the city, everything you see appears as a work of human achievement. Stoplights, fire trucks, businesses, freeway overpasses, and skyscrapers. At church, you sing songs praising God's provision, his mercies, his creation, and his grace. But everything you experienced on the way to church, from the food you ate to the beauty you witnessed, testified to humanity's ingenuity and mastery of the world. 
Your experience of the world was a testament to humanity, not God, because everything in your experience conditioned you to look to this world and its physical laws. It all makes sense as a self-sufficient, imminent world, even though you know that Jesus is our creator and sustainer. We are masters of our health, our safety, our morality, our time, and our success. Living in this kind of society, it is hard to sense the transcendent. So what we do when we gather week in and week out is that we're reshaped towards the reality that there is a transcendent, that it's both transcendent and natural. We live and dwell in a natural world, but that's not all there is, that there is a God and he's working and moving and active and everything else around us would say, this is all there is. Look at how good we are. We've created so many things and yet we forget that it is God who created us with the ability to create and is working and moving. That's shaping number two. Shaping number three, from I'll do what I want to it's not about me. I'll do what I want to it's not about me. We talked about this a ton last week. Would encourage you, if you missed it, to go listen to it. So I'll hit on it real quick. This is very similar to number one. So our culture is set up to just turn us inward. What's, a, what's good for me? What benefits me? What can this do for me? And the byproduct of that is we carry this into our Sunday gatherings. So we walk in here going, I hope they pick songs I like. I hope... Tim tells some good jokes, right? I hope I, hope, I hope I feel something. I hope this really resonates. I hope it hits. I hope it addresses what I'm dealing with. And so we come in with this consumeristic mindset when we step foot into the gathering going, what is this going to do for me? That's totally anti the posture that Hebrews 10 invites us into. Look back 24 and 25. The author of Hebrews says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So everything for him is outward. Let us consider how to stir one another up. Let us consider how to encourage one another. When we gather together, we're gathering as an us thing. We're gathering as a means of encouraging the people around you in their relationships with Jesus to continue to take steps forward, to continue to love him and be shaped by him. So we're reshaped. When we step foot in here, we are reshaped towards life not being about us, towards life being about God and about other people, towards giving up our preferences and desires and wants for the good of others. And we very particularly said in that covenant practice, participation, not just presence, right? We want to participate, not just be here. Right? Some would say, we want to not just show up, we want to show out, which I was told to cut, but I think it's funny. <laughs> right? We want to actually show out. Right? We want to be here, and but y'all are getting it now, it's great. We want to be here and participate. Right? So you say, hey, I'm not just going to hit the snooze button, I'm not just going to sleep in, I'm going to show up, and I'm not only going to show up, but I'm going to show up early, and I'm going to show up ready. Hey, who's new? Who do I not recognize? Who can I invite in? Who can I invite into my life, into my circle, into my group? Who can I welcome and make feel at home? Who can I put at peace? Because it's a hard thing to visit a church for the first couple times, right? It's hard. And so we're looking around. This is not about me. This is about others. Who can I encourage? Who can I bring in? When we get ready to sing and Jay or somebody calls us to worship, we're not just, all right, let me make sure I like the song first. Let me make sure it's vibing with me. No, we participate. This is not my favorite song, but I'm going to sing, and I'm going to sing loudly. Because the other people around me, like Delisha talked about, they need to hear me singing and be encouraged by me participating. We engage. Like we're going to do in a minute when we take communion. We don't just go, okay, there's some bread. We're going to dip it. Yeah, that's cool. We engage. 
We celebrate with joy. Hey, this is the body and blood of Jesus that we get to celebrate. And one day he's going to return. Amen. We take it with joy and excitement. We participate. We, we step in. Not just presence, but participation. Owning it. Saying no to ourselves. Uh, this is uh, why a podcast can't cut it. Right? So podcasts are good and helpful, and they bring a lot of supplemental teaching. Podcasts are great, and you can't live out Hebrews 10 and this good of others through a podcast. Right? You just can't. You can't encourage other believers through a podcast. You can send it to them, but it's not face-to-face. That's not with. That's not together. You can't worship God surrounded by the people of God through a podcast. You can't celebrate communion and the body and blood of Jesus with a podcast. You can't help spur one another on towards love and good deeds through a podcast. There's stuff that happens when the people of God say, I'm going to give up this time and I'm going to wake up early on a Sunday to be around the people of God. And I'm going to do it not just for God's glory and my good, but also for the good of those around me. That's what we're going for here. Culture story says, I'm in charge. This is all there is, so I'll do what I want. God says, no, I'm in charge. There's more to life than this, so it's not about me. Let me, uh, let me land the plane with some take-home practicals. This is where we'll, we'll end this morning. So for some of us, out of Hebrews 10, we need to make gatherings a priority. We need to make it a rock in our schedule, a thing that we say, hey, it doesn't matter what's going on, we're going to be there. Just as a, a helpful pro tip, you don't decide whether you're going to be here or not on Sunday morning. You actually decide on Saturday. Like you decide on Saturday afternoon when you make your plans for that evening whether or not you're going to show up Sunday morning. And if it's a rock in your schedule, then other things revolve around it because you see, no, I need this because I'm going to be shaped by this and other people need me to show up and need me to participate. So I'm not going to move this. I'm going to remove other stuff around this. Some of us, we need to prioritize being here. Others of us, you guys are great at being here. And you have great presence. The next step of faithfulness for you would be to take a step forward in participation. So maybe you're a little more reserved when we sing. And the next step of faithfulness is to sing and to sing loudly and to sing boldly. Even if you're off key, it's okay. The other people around you need that. They need that encouragement. Maybe for you, it's you are just like, ah, the two minutes is real bad and I'm introverted and I just don't want, that's okay. Maybe for you, faithful next step of sacrifice is to go, yeah, it's awkward and uncomfortable, but I'm gonna put myself out there to welcome in someone who's new. Say, hey, you can be a part of this family too. I found a place to belong. You can belong here to to step in, not just with your presence, but with your participation. For some of us, uh, next step of faithfulness would be to take an honest, hard look at our calendar. So for a lot of us, I think if you look back at the last month or two months or three months, if you're in town, you're here on a Sunday, but you're just never in town. So for some of us, we need to take an honest, hard look at, hey, we missed a lot of the previous Sundays. Maybe we don't need to take that trip coming up. Maybe we don't need to go visit that friend. Maybe, maybe we can go Thursday through Saturday and then we come back on Sunday because we've got to prioritize being with our church family and gathering with our church family. Maybe for some of you, you need to look and say, what does the next eight weeks look like? And hey, if, if we're going to be gone all of the time, what's that going to mean we're going to be shaped into in the next two months? How are we going to be different? Are we going to like the us we find two months from now if we continue to not prioritize gathering with God's people? I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's honest conversations you need to have with your family, with your, with your life group. The reality is, though, we all need Sunday gatherings. This is a gift from God that we get to gather with his people. 
It's for our good to be shaped more and more into who he calls us to be. I want to end with this. It's a quote from a, a pastor named Mike Cosper. I thought it was really, really helpful. He just talks about this reality that we're not at the day yet and so why we need gatherings to gather together, and then we'll pray and we'll take communion. This is what he writes. He says, Theologian Jeremy Begbie calls the gathering an echo from the future. Today we gather in exile in the world, but not of it. But one day the exile will end. God will rebuild creation, and not one corner of it will be stained by sin and rebellion. Until then, we have these momentary and imperfect glimpses and foretastes as we gather hear the word, and respond together. As flawed and imperfect as these gatherings are, they're the most truthful moment of our week, an outpost of the kingdom of God and a foretaste of eternity. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for this truthful moment that we get every week. This outpost where we can come and be with the people of God and this foretaste of what eternity is going to be like. God, thank you that we know the end of the story. We, we know the end of the narrative that you have written, God, that it's a sure thing that Christ has died and Christ is risen and Christ will come again. And it's hard to live in the middle. It's tough to live in the middle. It takes endurance to live in the middle. It takes your grace and your spirit to live in the middle, to live in this already but not yet, to live in this Jesus has died and Jesus has risen, but Christ has not yet come. God, and so I pray that we'll see the beautiful gift that Sunday gatherings are to get to gather with your people, to sing, to worship, to dive into your word, to take communion, to baptize through all of that, to be reshaped by the power of your Holy Spirit more and more into who you call us to be. God, I pray that you'll give us hearts that know and eyes that see how much we need this, how good this is in our shaping towards you, our shaping towards fullness of life with you. God, we, we love you. We're thankful for you. We're thankful for Jesus on the cross on our behalf who tore the curtain so that we could be in your presence forever. I pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.